All right, so faithfulness is not a popular and appealing American value. I mean, do you go to classes or you listen to, to music or TV shows or movies that just exemplifies faithfulness? No, not at all. Deep down, here's the thing, though. You want faithfulness from a person, right? And you get outraged if they act out of line of your perception of faithfulness towards you. But you are unwilling and you are incapable of giving faithfulness to another. That's why we celebrate things like 50 years of marriage, as if it's an exception and not a norm. Or we celebrate 30 years in one vocation or at a single job. Like, that's strange that someone would stay that committed, that hands to the plow for 30 years doing one thing, right? It's rare in American society. It wasn't rare a couple hundred years ago. It's rare today. Deep down, we know that we are faithless and unfaithful. Now, this past week, I looked at different academic institutions, different colleges and universities, where they've done research and they've put together, for example, if you emigrate to America and you do some classes with them to be introduced to what American culture is like, they've put together these studies and these classes for people to learn what American, the Americana is about and what Americans value so you can fit into the country. And here's what their research and their studies and their classes say. The number one American value is individualism. Think about that for a moment. So it doesn't matter if you take a look at Berkeley or Stanford or Harvard, you look at these studies. The number one American value is individualism. Individualism is putting you before others. You before God. You before your city, your county, your state, your country. America believes that the key to life, liberty, and happiness is to put your needs, your life, before others. What is wrong with individualism is when it devalues others, when it acts and speaks as if the needs of others are not as important as your own, that their duties performed towards you is more important than you being faithful to your duties. It's okay that you neglect your duties, but oh no, they better not neglect their duties towards you. <clears throat> Setting the needs of a community as a priority alongside the individual's needs is a good thing. It is a noble thing. And the gospel speaks to this. The early church, when someone was in need, they sold their possessions and they met that need for that person struggling in the church. That is the essence of communism. Okay. America's insistence on individualism as a key to life, liberty, and happiness has ironically made you lifeless, enslaved, and unhappy. And just because you walked into this church doesn't mean you're not emoting lifelessness, unhappiness, and that you're enslaved to yourself. Now, the second quality that these researchers have developed for American values, number two, is personal control. So you think about it. People come from the East. They come from Central America. They go through these classes to be introduced to American life. And they hear, be an individual, and you have personal control over everything. America teaches you that you can and you should control your life, that you control your destiny, that you can control nature, you can control resources, and you can even control people. Think about it here in America. How many people do you know in some way or another are involved in advertising? And this is a modern American technique. It wasn't there 200 years ago. It's here today where people seek to control your purchasing power to buy into their products and services, right? We can't escape it. It's all over today. America's insistence on personal control as key to life, liberty, and happiness has ironically made you more passive, where you just sit there. Even you come into church, you know, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't struggle with passivity. And just coming somewhere, being with God, you just sit there. Why are you passive? Why do you feel so out of control? Though America's taught you about personal control, you care about personal control? 
Because that's the irony of listening to culture over Christ. The very things that they seek to create in you, you actually don't get. And you strive and strive after the wind, as Ecclesiastes says. Faithlessness, sorry, faithfulness is seen as an obstacle to life, liberty, and happiness. But for our God, it is essential. It's not an obstacle. It's essential. Faithfulness is so essential to the character and the work of God that Jesus was faithful until death to adopt you as his father's son and daughter. All right. Let's get to our proposition today. You are going to see that the Holy Spirit works faithfulness into the Christian. The faithfulness of Jesus into the Christian. And here's how. As they remember, which means look back, and then move forward and trust in his promises to provide. America views faithfulness as outdated and antiquated. But deep down, they want it. Because whether you're an American or you're from somewhere else, you are created, handcrafted in the image of God. But it is rare to see a person display faithfulness to others over the long term. That is why we are concerned at Heritage at looking at somebody's words and actions over time. We're happy if they decide to come down here and say, I believe in Jesus, or to get baptized. That's great. But we're more important to see what the words and actions over time say about you. Right? So you got to look at yourself. Secular faithfulness is a faithfulness to yourself above all. And just because you come into this church doesn't mean all of a sudden that programming by American culture to put you before everybody just dissipates and disappears. Therefore, secular faithfulness can be forfeited or it can be just abandoned or altered depending on your circumstances and depending on your feelings. America says, okay, American, if you no longer feel the way that you used to, if your circumstances have changed, you don't have to faithfully oblige to your commitments. You can just put a bow on it and move on. And this contrasts with Christian faithfulness. America sets feelings above faith, but the gospel prioritizes faith to help you truly understand feelings. Completely different. Christian faithfulness is loyal, especially when the feelings and the circumstances change. Christian faithfulness is founded on God's faithfulness, which never changes because of his feelings, and never changes because of the circumstances in this world. Could you imagine if God's heart towards you did? That's how we do to him and to others, but imagine if he reciprocated that towards you. But instead, we get promises like this. In 2 Timothy, verse 13, Paul tells Timothy that when we're faithless, he's faithful. Why? He can't deny himself. It's at his core. God is faithful. And out of this faithfulness, God gives. You want to see a relationship between giving and your heart? It's a link between giving and faithfulness. Those who are faithful give, and those who give are faithful. Jesus is our God and human example of faithfulness. And the Holy Spirit is working in you and I as Christians to create Jesus' faithfulness into us, which is a faithfulness unto death. Now, as of this year, some of you may not know this, but some of you who are old school, you may know this. But as of this year, did you know that I am now the longest tenured pastor at Heritage? Heritage has turned 73 years this year. And I am the 16th pastor over 73 years to serve this church. No pastor ever lasted beyond seven. Over its 73-year history, eight years could go by, and you would have had three to four pastors already. I think you take this for granted sometimes, not remember and think back to the past. If the trajectory that Heritage was on would have continued, Whoever is standing before you on November 12, 2023, depending on when you got here, 
you would have been on your fourth pastor already. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what this would have been like? Pastor come in, new life, new worship, new priorities, gone. One pastor in this tenure lasted six months. The question you have to ask is, why have there been so many short, tenured pastors at Heritage? Yes, sometimes a pastor left because of health reasons, and that's legit. They cannot physically perform the duties, the soul-wrenching and physically exhausting duties of preaching. Yes, it's exhausting to do this. Sometimes, sorry, most times, pastors left because of faithfulness issues. They put feelings above faith. And those of you who can recall the previous pastors of ages past, because you've been here that long, I'm looking at some of y'all. Not too many left, but there's still some here. You can recall this. They put feelings above faith. They were ultimately faithful, loyal to themselves. So when their feelings changed, their feelings changed about you, their feelings changed about this church, or they felt circumstances change in their life or circumstances in this church left, you know what the response was? God led me to another church. And we spoke about that phrasing and how Christians abuse the phrase, God led me, because what's the response to that? If God led you to it, who are you to say, right? And Christians, and especially pastors, have abused that phrasing, that God has led me. And I hope you can maybe count, maybe just on a couple fingers, how many times I've said that to you in eight years. Now, you've got to ask yourself another question. Do you think there have been opportunities over the last eight years for my feelings to change, for my circumstances to change, for other opportunities to come my way through our association. Yes. Okay. Good. What did Tisa and I do instead? We built a home in Branchton, right? Why did we do this? To show this church, this is the most foundational ingredient, that when a pastor comes, it's not a corporate ladder. In turn, to youth pastor, to associate pastor, to senior pastor, and a bigger senior pastor, and a bigger senior pastor. That's the, that's the American corporate model of church. It's to show you that Tisa and I are here for the long haul, to be faithful to the end that God has called us to here at Heritage. I share this with you because you need to know how easy it is, even for us, how easy and natural it is for feelings to change. How easy and natural and inevitable for circumstances to change. But faithfulness is not dependent upon feelings. Faithfulness is not dependent upon circumstances. Faithfulness is dependent upon God himself, who was faithful to the end. It is the work of God in Jesus to make us faithful, despite our feelings, Despite circumstances, I think within our first six months when we began serving, someone that we loved deeply, no, no, <laughs> multiple people that we loved deeply left the church. And if our faith was based on circumstances or feelings, we would have left shortly after that. And I can guarantee you I had a call in that season of time to go somewhere else. And I did not. I continue not to. Point America has a faithfulness problem, but the church of Jesus in America should never have a faithfulness problem. The Holy Spirit leads every Christian. Whether you feel like you're a Christian this big or you have a self-inflated view of yourself as a Christian, the Holy Spirit leads every Christian to grow into the character of Jesus and not to jump ship when it gets hard, or when feelings change, but to stay the course until the voyage is over. And it is the Holy Spirit, it is the work of the Holy Spirit in tough times to help us remember so that we can depend on God's faithfulness to help us fight our feelings right now and to fight our circumstances. Therefore, faithfulness is not old-fashioned. It's not. Faithfulness is one of the nine things that Jesus died to produce in you as a Christian. So today we are going to see the challenges in our lives to faithfulness. 
And we're going to hear the call of God time and time again to depend on him. Depend on him when you're tempted, when your feelings are tempted, when your circumstances change, and it makes you want to run for the hills or jump ship. I've been there. I get it. And then we will remember the forever faithfulness of God so you and I can stay the course. That's what today's text is about. All right, so let's see it. In our first point, we're going to see that you are to recognize the challenges of faithfulness. So we're going to do that. And then we are going to resolve to depend on God to provide. Whatever the feelings are, whatever the challenges are, we will depend on him to provide. So we've already discussed two challenges to faithfulness. One is our nature, and two is the culture that we live in. Naturally, we don't want to be faithful to anyone except for yours truly. Culturally, you are taught to value individualism and personal control over faithfulness to others. So nature and culture destroys the idea of real faithfulness. Remaining loyal to God, remaining loyal to people, regardless of your personal feelings and regardless of your personal challenges. And in Psalm 37, which we're about to unpack, David tells us about two challenges to faithfulness that he experienced. So let's get into it, into verse 1. David prays in verse 1, do not fret. You know, he's preaching to himself. Right? This is originally his prayer. And then the people of God got a hold of it and published it into a, their hymn book. So this is his intimate journal. And he says, do not fret, David, because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers. It's clear that evildoers and wrongdoers were challenging David's faithfulness. Now, we need a reminder, because culturally we like to go to the extreme when we, we hear words like sin and evil. Culture makes people think that Christians think that everybody is the worst, heinous person out there. That's what culture likes to paint a caricature of Christians and their beliefs. But this is what we mean by sin and wrong and evil. Sin is simply believing that you can live without God. And I'll easily say, that's my nature. And that's your nature. To believe that you can live for one nanosecond without God. Sin at your core shapes everything that you are. And that's what I mean, that sin just reaches deep down to the deepest part, the deepest recesses of your core, of your nature. That's why you believe you can do anything without God. Forget about going to church this week, right? Don't you deserve a break, right? Forget about opening the Bible today. Don't you deserve a break? Deep down, you have this insatiable desire and belief that you can live outside of God's design for you, even though you are his image bearer. He created you in his image, not a basset hound. You're his image bearer, but you can think and you believe that you can live one nanosecond without him. That's like the pot saying to the potter, I don't need you. And the potter's like, yeah, right. Spin yourself. Color yourself. Well, we do as humanity, right? We all live outside God's intended desire for us as his image bearers. We value individualism and personal control over God and his control and his community. Looking at the success of evil and wrongdoers made David fret. Do you see that? It made him fret and it made him anxious. Do you get it? Fretting was outside in. Anxiety is outside to the inside. Do you get that? The lifestyle of the evil and the wrong made David hot. It burned him. It is hard to be faithful to God. And it's hard to be faithful to others when that other person is putting themselves above you and putting themselves above God. But here's the thing about individualism. And here's the thing about personal control. It seems to work, right? American society was built on self-reliance. You believe in this idea about self-reliance because of a couple writers by the name of Henry David Thoreau, and Ralph Waldo Emerson. 
they developed the idea of transcendentalism, and America loved it and has built their lives upon it since the 18th century. That's why you value self-reliance and individualism. It's not anything new. It's been around for a long time. It's an old, old idea. Many people that you feel made it, that you watch in your social media channels, many people you feel made it in life, and they did so because they valued individualism and personal control. And then you think, okay, if they did wrong, and they were unfaithful, yet they seem to make it in life, what about me? Why don't I start cutting corners? Why don't I start doing less? Maybe I should do things my way instead of God's way. But then here comes verse 2, where David fights against this temptation inside of him to give up because of the apparent unfaithfulness of others in his life. Look at verse 2. He tells himself, they will wither quickly like the grass, and they will fade like the green herb. Verse 2 shows to David and to you still today the end of faithlessness, what it looks like. Tolkien is right. The old song that he wrote for Aragorn is right. All that glitters is not gold. Unfortunately, America loves the things that glitter, and you may do too. And all that glitters is not gold. Underneath the glitter is the same reality that affects you and which affects me. We are dying and we are decaying. And there is no amount of external change, personal control, or individualism that can stop this or delay this. Those who are older, you're already on board because you feel it. But those of us who are younger, we're like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Those who seem to prosper while disregarding how God designed them will suffer an end just like you and just like me. What is going to make you evergreen to withstand the withering and the fading that is to come is the experience of God's faithfulness in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So when you are tempted to give up, when you feel your feelings begin to change, when your circumstances begin to look a little different, when you look at the faithlessness of those on the outside and the apparent success that they may have, you need to look at verse 2. You need to look at verse 2. Their success is short-lived. They will wither and fade. In another prayer, Psalm 1, David prays, that all who faithfully put God's word above their desires for individualism, to just experience and feel good for personal control, that that person will be evergreen. The presence and the apparent prosperity of evil and wrongdoers will challenge faithfulness. It will. And when you are tempted to give up, you must look to the promises of God. So we need to resolve some things right now. And we resolve to trust that verse 2 is the truth. And verse 2 accurately portrays what is really going on in those who seem like they're so successful and they're having a great time and you're not. Let's get to verse 3. David prays, trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. Cultivate faithfulness. You see all the actions built into this verse? Secular faithfulness puts trust in self. It elevates self above God and above others. Christian faithfulness puts trust in God above all. Here's the reality. Whatever or whoever you trust ultimately is going to shape your soul. Whether you're a Christian or an atheist, whether you're nominal or you're diehard, religious or irreligious. Whatever or whoever you ultimately trust in is going to shape your soul. Individualism and control, above all things, is going to shape your soul, who you are and what you do. Also, trusting in God above all is going to shape your soul, who you are and what you do. 
we see three effects right here of trusting in God above all things. Trusting God will lead the Christian to do good. That was last week's fruit of the Spirit. So if you missed it, you got to hit it up. Trusting God will lead the Christian to dwell in land, whatever land God has placed them. The Christian's focus isn't always thinking about looking for something better so you can uproot yourself and move, and you sit there for a little bit, and when you're unhappy, you take up your roots and you move. We don't see this. Dwell in the land. Put your roots down and cultivate some faithfulness. That's the clear will of God for us this morning. And you have to remember, David prayed this most likely when he was in a cave. Jumping from cave to cave to cave to cave, afraid for his life because his father-in-law was trying to murder him. That's the context of this. Secular faithfulness says, I'll do good to you as long as you're doing good to me. And when you stop doing good, or if I feel different about you, or if my circumstances change, I don't have to be good to you anymore. And secular faithfulness destroys marriages, it ruins families, even churches. Because just because you come into this church doesn't mean that you perfectly adopt biblical faithfulness. It may mean that many heritage Christians are living out secular faithfulness live as we speak right now. And ironically enough, secular faithfulness destroys the very fabric of society itself, which teaches you to be an individual above all things. But out of these three things in this verse, I want you to focus on the phrase cultivate faithfulness. I love that verb, cultivate. In Hebrew, it really just means to befriend faithfulness. And I love that even more. So it means to allow faithfulness to feed, to graze, to pasture in and with you. Like let it on into your pen and to your fold and let it feast. Faithfulness is fidelity and loyalty, regardless of circumstances, regardless of your personal feelings. So the question we got to like pose for ourselves is, who cares if the wicked seem to prosper? Who cares if those on social media seem like they're having better fun than you? Both the Christian and the non-Christian has the same end. You realize that, right? The same end is death. The same end is standing before God as maker, creator, and judge. You know, we have the same end. And in that moment, money, power, fun, self-gratification, a high feeling good, it's going to do nothing to change your status before God. You realize that, right? That extra shift to make more money, it's going to do nothing for you to stand before God. That extra fun experience will do nothing for your soul. They have the momentary fun, pleasure, gratification in this life, and they will have eternal misery in the next. Christians, therefore, depend on God's faithfulness above all as our fuel. For when our feelings do this, when our circumstances do this, it's not us that's the fuel. It's his faithfulness. We trust in him above all. We also delight in him above all. Take a look at verse 4. David prays for himself. He says, self, delight in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Boy, that's not America's recipe, right? That's not your natural recipe for getting what you want. At the end of the day, secular faithfulness has a problem. We delight in the wrong things. Secular faithfulness has a desire problem, a heart problem. Secular faithfulness delights in self, elevates self's desires above all. Christian faithfulness, on the other hand, delights in God above all because he is eternally faithful. He's the high that never goes away. The promise is God will change your heart and change your desires as you delight in him above all. Yes, even above filet. Even above Lord of the Rings. So how are our hearts changed? You will not fret nor be envious of the apparent success of those who do not love and follow God. 
Why? Because your heart is steadfast. It is set on God and not what you think they have that you don't. We resolve to trust in God above all, desire God above all, and commit to ourselves to God above all. Let's look at our final verse towards this. David prays, commit your way to the Lord. Clear action, right? We'll talk about it. Trust also in him. Result. He will do it. It says something about individualism and personal control, right? Secular faithfulness is a commitment to yourself and your way above all. It's about my desire, my work, my fun, my hobbies, my needs, my people above yours. It can seem, and this is what's tricky, it can seem to cooperate with God, and it can seem to cooperate with God's people. As long as God and God's people are aligning with their overall desires, but once it seems that God and church shifts, might as well be worlds apart. Christian faithfulness commits our ways to God. And the Hebrew word for this word commit is a super like vivid image. You need to imagine like a long log, like a lumberjack just sawed off. Like imagine me, just one of my trees in my house. Vernon said, I don't want to. But this is what it means to commit your way to the Lord. There's this big, huge log, and you're rolling it away from you. That's what it means. Roll the log to the Lord. That's what this means. In this image, your desires... Your ways are that log. And that log, your desires and your ways need to be rolled away from you and onto God. That's what David is saying. Can you imagine what his desires were hiding in a cave? Like, God, I just want to live. I would just like to worship with your people again. I would just like to read scripture again. Because like they had it digitally. Scriptures were hand-copied. No access to God's people. No access to God's word. He had friends and family he was cut off from. Brothers. Parents. Like, God, I just want to live. That's like, that's my desire. And he still had to roll that away from himself to God. You have your own temptations. You have your own desires. And these temptations make you look and think again and you ask questions like, what am I even doing as a Christian, right? Like, what am I even doing here? You look at how it seems that people are doing well. People are having a greater time than you. People seem to be prospering and they could care less about Jesus, right? And you are engulfed by them. There are some of you, you do not even have a single genuine Christian in your life outside of this church. Don't tell me you're not tempted to give up on God and to believe that what they're doing is more satisfying than what God, your creator, has shaped you for. I know you feel it. Your nature in these moments will whisper to you, just give up. Just be like them. It's easier. Just do what they do. Talk the way they talk. Do the things that they do. It's easy. And you'll you'll be like them too. You'll prosper. You'll feel good. You'll have a life. Give up on Jesus. Give up. Right? And David says, when this happens, roll that log to God. He struggled with it. Remember when his um, mighty men was like, Saul is in the next cave using the bathroom. You can take matters into your own hand. Kill him. And this can be done. And David's like, no. He rolled his ways to God. He didn't do things his way or what people told him to do. He did it God's way. And I pray God works that faithfulness into you and I as Christians still today. All that's dependent upon the work of Jesus on the cross experienced through the Holy Spirit to you. But look at what happens when you roll your desires and your ways away from yourself and onto God. 
David says, he will do it. God's control is greater than personal control. Do you, do you see that? A circumstance changing and you do nothing for a season and you trust in God and pray to God for him to work and he does, that is ultimately more fulfilling than you just being anxious trying to resolve the situation yourself. That's why we say at Heritage that filet is better than drive through burger, right? God's way is better than your way. You're the drive through burger and God's the filet. God's control is greater than your control. But this is a fundamental problem with you and I who are wrapped in human flesh. God created us in his image, but we genuinely think that we can live without God. And the question you have to ask your soul is, do you believe this, even right now? That you can believe in it like one nanosecond that you can live without the Lord Jesus. If so, God needs to reshape and I pray he does that this morning. But if you believe this, that the key to faithfulness is rolling your ways to the Lord when you are tempted and tried, that faithfulness is trusting in him to do it, there's hope. God will shape and reshape faithfulness in your heart when your feelings are low, when your circumstances are changing. And I think that for some of us, some of us, we don't really believe God will be faithful that God will do it, that God will take care of us. That's why we sang, Come Thou Fount, this morning. Do you realize that? Do you know we sang, Prone to Wander, Lord, I Feel It? Because that's you right now, and that's me right now. We're easy to forget. We're prone to wander. That's the human condition, right? We've forgotten the atrocities of 2020. We've moved on as if, like, what was done to us was right, right? We're easy to forget, So we are struggle to believe that God will really be faithful, that God will do it, and that God will take care of us. So we take our cues from culture instead of from Christ. And this ironically will make you less faithful, and it will make you fret more. It will make you even more anxious and even more envious of those who seem to be living their life out there. And that's why we have to make some resolutions in our point of application right now. So let's just go right into it. So our application today is this. Because you are prone to wander, easy to forget, you must remember. These are our final moments in the preaching God's word today. It's a call for you to remember the eternal faithfulness of God when you are tempted to give up. Let's see if the scriptures are still relevant today. How many of you this morning are tempted to give up on Christ right now? Thank you for that authenticity. Only three of you were. Because y'all, y'all are lying, number one. I know you are because I know your souls, most of them. You're struggling right now. Your feelings have changed. Your circumstances have changed. You look around like, why, 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 why? And this is where you're at. Whether it is your flesh, your nature, or culture, you will be tempted to give up. You will be tempted to be unfaithful. God is faithful even when we are faithless because he cannot deny himself. So for our application, today we are going to turn to Jeremiah's Lamentation. Lamentations chapter 3. This has been a balm for my soul since August of 2021. No joke, I have read this chapter virtually every single day since August of 2021. There's not a day that goes by. There's not a worship service that goes by, unless I'm playing, where I'm not looking at Lamentations 3. It's bookmarked. There's a picture of my mother in it. All the time. Every day. I want to give you the backdrop as you're getting there. It is the 586th year before Jesus. We're in Jerusalem. And those are guys doing kindred. You know the context already. Babylon has attacked Jerusalem. Babylon has conquered the city. It is sacked on fire. They have made their way into Solomon's temple. The temple that God moved David's heart to build. That his son built for God. It is in shambles. It has been destroyed. The people of God, even the children, either murdered 
pushed out or taken into slavery. That's what's going on in this nation right now. And then there's Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was called to be a preacher, to be a a prophet. And his specific topic of him to preach was against the lifestyle of those living in Jerusalem. Their hypocritical lifestyle. They would still do the Jewish feasts, but then at home, they did something completely different. God called Jeremiah to preach repentance to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem didn't repent. They rejected Jeremiah. They beat him. They threw him in a ditch with no food. They threw him into prison. And literally, 586, Jeremiah is in prison watching the city that he loves and watching the people that he loves murdered, sacked, destroyed. Jeremiah saw the success of the faithless. Literally, there were taunts in Hebrew. We destroyed this country's God. They're no more. We destroyed this country's God. They are no more. We're in Jerusalem now. Guess what we will do to your God? Because our way is the way. And they succeeded. They destroyed Jerusalem. Jeremiah saw the success of the faithless, and he saw the failure of the sons and daughters of Abraham. Do you think that Jeremiah was tempted to give up? Man. Like, I'm tempted to give up when, like, I prick myself, or I, I, like, I have a callus when I do yard work. Look how soft I am. So soft. We are soft as Americans. Right? And it is right when Jeremiah was most tempted to give up when you are most tempted to give up, that God gives to him and to you the experience of faithfulness. That's how good our God is. When you feel like God is not faithful, when you are tempted to give up, you must remember that Jesus bled and died for me so that by the indwelling of his Spirit, you would experience his faithfulness. Now let's get to Lamentations 3. I hope I did the context justice. Verse 21. From the prison, looking at the destruction, Jeremiah says this. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. When Jeremiah was tempted to give up, he recalled something to mind. Oh, you know how many times in my early years with you where people said, you focus on the Bible too much. You use Bible too much. What else am I, as your pastor, am supposed to get you to recall to your mind? Another illustration? Another story? A movie clip? What? What is the this that Jeremiah recalls to mind? Jeremiah recalled something to mind, and this is the pattern that you and I must follow. We must follow this. When we are tempted to give up, we must recall the same thing to mind, and we get it in the next two verses. Verse 22 and 23, he says, The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In this moment, literally for Jeremiah, it looked as if God's loving kindness ceased. You get that? Jerusalem is destroyed. It looked like God's compassions have failed. The temple is destroyed. And Jeremiah writes, it's a new day. Yeah, right, another day for burning. Another day for Israel's children to go off into slavery. That's what this new day is for. No food, no drink. Literally, the people were eating themselves. And Jeremiah can say this. We are way too soft. Oh, yeah, calluses hurt. A little bit. Jeremiah says, God's loving kindness and compassion is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In this moment, at his lowest point, when he's at the point of giving up, 
he recalled the unceasing loving kindness and never failing compassion of God. That is the pattern that you and I must follow. Jeremiah remembered that God will faithfully love him and love his people. Jeremiah remembered that God will have compassion on his people. Jeremiah's feelings, Jeremiah's circumstances appear to contradict this word, right? The success of Babylon challenged this word, but this is how we hope. From Jeremiah to you at Heritage today, this is how we hope. American culture, can you imagine if he paid the $29.99 this month to get a personal coach on Instagram? What the coach would have told Jeremiah in this situation? You got to put yourself before Jerusalem, Jeremiah. That's what's wrong. You're not putting your needs before them. You've done it. You've, you, you've been faithful. It's time to be done. It's time to do you. It's time to focus on yourself. That's what they would say, right? And American culture tells you the same thing. To value that individualism. To value that personal control. Above all. But the reality is God does not. In that temptation, it will be hard to remember the past faithfulness of God. So you've got to ask the question, who do you have in your life right now that causes you to remember the words of God? Answer? Let's make it interactive for 10 seconds. What is the answer to that? Who is in your life right now who causes you to remember the words of God. The church, church family, but in the ultimate sense, it is the Holy Spirit. And we have looked at John 14, 26, every single angle, and let's do it again. John 14, 26, Jesus says that the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Now, here's the key. He will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. That's why the Holy Spirit is in your life right now. Do you get that? It's not about the greater gifts. It's not about the flashy gifts. Let's not have a mindset for the minutia. It's about the Holy Spirit in our lives causing us to remember the words of our crucified Lord when we need it most. When we are tempted, when our feelings are changing, when our circumstances are changing, we need Holy Spirit all the more. And that's why he is here. That's why he is in here, and that's why he is in this place. Jesus died to give you his spirit. Do you get that? That's how serious Jesus is about this. The Spirit of Jesus indwells you to remember the words of Jesus when the people of Jesus need it the most. Are your feelings changing? Are, are, are more people willing to raise their hands now? Your feelings are a little bit different today than it was yesterday? Your circumstances are a little bit different today than yesterday? You need the Holy Spirit even more because you need him to help you remember the words of Jesus. Because the, the 43.5 minutes of this morning is not enough. I know some of you pointed back at me, but it is not enough. Some of y'all think 43 minutes is too much because you're starving yourself throughout the week. This is not enough. It has a goal and a purpose, but it's not the end all be all. It's for Monday morning when you don't feel like it, when you want to just get up and get out of Dodge. That's when you need the Holy Spirit. By his spirit, God works his love and kindness, his faithful covenantal love for you, especially when your circumstances look dire. And some of us have some dire circumstances today. The Father is so serious about faithfulness that Jesus died to prove the faithfulness of God to you. And by his spirit, to make you faithful, you will be tempted to give up when you look at the apparent success of non-Christians. 
your nature and the American culture will tempt you to conditional faithfulness. But the Holy Spirit is working loving kindness into you, his faithful and loyal love into you. So remember David. Remember Psalm 37. All who do not love and trust God will fade and wither. That's the end. And all who love and trust God will be evergreen. That's the promise of Psalm 1. They will experience the unceasing and never-failing love of God and compassion of God. And they will especially experience it when their circumstances change and look dire. And when their feelings are different from one morning to the next. Then we also remember Jeremiah. That in the moment when he needed to see who God is the most, because he couldn't see it on the outside, God was faithful. At his darkest moment, he recalled the past, the present, and future faithfulness of God. God is eternally faithful to you because Jesus was forsaken. Do you get that? For those of you who have been forsaken by a loved one, I know what this feels like. My family knows what this feels like. If you know what it's like to be forsaken by somebody, put that on steroids. And that's how Jesus felt. Jesus was forsaken so that you would be filled with his spirit. His spirit causes you to remember the words of Jesus, the faithfulness of Jesus, when you need it most. So what does Christian faithfulness look like? It looks like doing the everyday things. The everyday things of what it means to be a Christian. Regardless of your feelings and regardless of your circumstances. It looks like praying and reading, gathering, serving, giving, singing. Even when you don't feel like it. It looks like praying and reading and gathering and serving and giving and singing, even when your circumstances have changed. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and now faithfulness. And let us pray that God will remind us of his faithfulness and to make us faithful to the end.